0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Arbilla, lead mentor at the Knowledge Exchange. We specialize in helping clinicians apply a BPS approach to their practice. We offer one-on-one and group mentoring, as well as courses, both in person and online, to help clinicians handle and manage the uncertainty and challenges of clinical practice. So if you're interested, reach out at tkex.org. I am very excited today to introduce... The star of our show, Meredith Woolsey, she is a passionate EP and business owner who works with the values of Haze, health at every size, creating a safe and inclusive space for clients to develop positive relationships with movement, regardless of their size or weight. I'm going to dive into some topics of Hayes weight stigma, and size inclusive practice. So Meredith, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. It's an honor.
0: The infamous question that we ask all our guests, what is your story?
1: Uh, Yes, well, I was born at a very young age, um, so we'll start there. Uh, So I was born and raised in Adelaide, which is on Ghana land, and that's where I'm talking to you from today. Uh, And I will take a a moment at the moment to acknowledge all of my privileges, which I was born with. So I am cis, I'm straight, I'm white. I'm quite highly educated uh, and I'm pretty able-bodied and for the purposes of today, the, probably the most relevant one is that I'm in a fairly straight-sized body and something that would be considered within the realms of normal, quote-unquote, normal, you know, beauty standards, acceptable standards for how bodies should be portrayed in society, that sort of thing. So that's the start of my story. Uh, Yeah, as you said, I'm an exercise physiologist. uh, So I came to EP the long way around. So I was actually going to be an astronaut. Uh, Yeah, which is a whole nother thing that I could go off on a tangent about. Uh, So I went to space camp in like a summer camp, got to like do rocket simulations and all that sort of stuff. And then I discovered that I was real terrible at maths, particularly calculus So luckily um, biomechanics is algebra and I only have to count to 15 to 20 in the gym, so it's okay now. Um, uh, So, yeah, so I uh, was trying to do biomedical science to go be an astronaut scientist and then got glandular fever. Brain kind of didn't work anymore, failed maths spectacularly, Uh, decided I was going to be an outdoor ed teacher I then went to TAFE or Polytech, depending on where you are in the world, uh, and did a diploma in fitness, um, which was an interesting experience Uh, in the late 2000s. It was when the biggest loser, the American version, was in the height of its um, heyday, and uh, leggings were very see-through and were not very good at being pants yet, (laughs) and all those sorts of things. Uh, and it was during my diploma in fitness we had an exercise physiologist come along to teach us how to refer on when we had someone too complicated for us to deal with so you know anyone who's not apparently healthy quote unquote and I went oh I want to do that that sounds fun so rather than going into a human movement degree to do outdoor ed I went into a human movement degree to do Um, exercise physiology. So I did that and a grad dip on top of that. And then after eight long years, I was an exercise physiologist, worked in a couple of places, and then was presented with an opportunity to kind of take over the bones of the business that I was working for, because the person who owned it didn't want it anymore. It's all very different. I have one client who's the same client from there. He's been with me for eight years. He's lovely. Not that you're meant to have favorites, but he's lovely. Uh, And yeah, so it'll be seven years in February. 2023 since when I started my own practice here and it's called Move to Live. So the idea being that we do the movements so that you can live your life as opposed to move because I bloody told you to as a business name, which I don't think works so well. Um, And yeah, so I've been doing that until recently. It's been just me, but now I have a new grad and some admin support, which is lovely. And in terms of the Hayes world, I think I've always been a bit haze uh, so i think i was in quite a privileged position that my my mum has a thyroid condition her thyroid's just dead and doesn't do anything and so she's always had to take medication for that and so i always from well before i was a health professional understood that someone's condition or disability could be invisible and you couldn't necessarily see it for starters but also that someone's shape or size is not necessarily something that they've done, quote, unquote, to themselves or on purpose or it's not a laziness factor or anything like that. And so I think that really put me a couple of steps ahead because that meant that I was like, yeah, well, that's, that's why my mum's in a bigger body because she has this and that's not anyone's fault. That's just a thing do diss my mum, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, so it wasn't until one of my friends, so my best friend, we've been best friends since we were two, she is a non-diet eating disorder specialist dietitian. Uh, and one day she just, I think I was having a complaint about um, how someone had treated one of my clients really terribly because of their size. And she was like, Meredith, it's time I told you how weird you are I'm like well, duh. Of course, I'm weird. But um, she's like, no, specifically about healthcare. Think about every other health professional you know. How would they treat that? And I was like, no, no, no. They'd be lovely, and they'd be abhor- um, you know, really upset too. And she was like, no, no, they wouldn't think about it. And then I thought about it, and I realised that it was a bit different. And she was like, yes. And now welcome to the world of pays. These are your people. And she kind of took me in and introduced me um, to this world. And I went, like, oh yeah, this is this is like where I fit which is which is really cool. So I've probably been a, <laughs> such a terrible phrase, Been an out and proud, Hayes professional for four, maybe five years in terms of being like, this is what I do. I'm um, Hayes verified. That's how I say everything. But in terms of, I think, how I've practiced, I've always been pretty close to that mark. I just didn't know what it was. Um, and I knew what it was and I knew I was that for a bit, but didn't say it out loud because it's not, looked upon terribly favorably by a lot of people sometimes like there's a lot of like but why aren't you treating the fatness and it's like well because it''s not actually really a problem <laughs> I could treat this other thing and which is their actual problem let's do that um but now I just don't care and I think that it's really important so I'm quite happy to stand here and stamp my feet about it and get on the soapbox so here I am so thank you for giving me a soapbox
0: absolutely yes and um yeah w- w- what a journey I- I'm also. And horrible at maths, so you can both share in that, uh, that shame, mutual shame. But uh, no, I I love the that you had the uh, values of inclusivity and um, you know, ethical healthcare practice based on your own previous experiences with your mum and how um, you just treated humans in general like humans and not just focusing on on their fat and and you know the number on a scale. And it's, it's cool that it was an easy transition for you because it can be quite a big surprise for a lot of clinicians out there. Um, and want to share my, my experience coming across it thanks to a colleague of mine, Ellen, who's amazing, another EP who's been on our podcast before. And also uh, you've been on her podcast with Tate Brown, the Into the Red Zone podcast. I recommend for listeners to check that one out. Yay. Fully unfiltered. <laughs> uh,
1: Very one... unfiltered, <laughs> lots <laughs> yeah. of swears.
0: And and the... Like, my transition was more um, noticing that I was uh, being person-centered, at least on the surface, but still wanting to, um, or still without question rather, going along with someone's weight-based waste, weight reduction goal because that's mm. what I was taught. So I think it's great to hear that it, it's an easy tra- it can, It doesn't have to be a hard transition. It's more mm. having that reflective practice and that safe space to reflect on what we're doing how uh, we are approaching and and treating people in larger bodies and what we can do better.
1: Yeah, and I love that you're providing that because even though, and you you raised a good point of that's what you were taught or like that's what we were all taught. Mm -hmm. Every single person that has gone through basically any form of healthcare training has been told energy in, energy out, smaller is better, this is the problem. You know, these people are the problem this is a thing that needs to be fixed constantly and it's a thing that we can fix and that's what we're taught all the way through including myself like I remember sitting in lectures hearing that constantly 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 um i just happened to be super super lucky that i had this little voice in the back of my head being like yeah but maybe maybe not maybe not every person in a bigger body and it was enough um and that's a really good starting place for people, you know, like when you've been pushed into that real weight-centric model for so long and been taught this very specific way, that can be a really good starting point of just the tiniest little question. And even in dietetics, like, you know, they get taught really complicated biochem, Krebs cycle, you know, this happens, this happens, all the sort of complicated things. Um, but they're taught it, you know, really for weight loss and weight-centric way, whereas Again, I was I was very privileged that in my early trying to be a national science days, I did two semesters of pure biochem. And it was pure biochem. Like I remember the woman standing up the front. She was the most fabulous professor. And she was like, and see, and she had the Krebs cycle up and she's like, see, this doesn't work like this, and this doesn't work like this. And she just looked at us and went, and that's why low-carb diets are dumb and they don't work. And I was like, Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. And so, but that's a completely separate half of a degree that I did that's not what we're taught in EP I don't know what your nutrition was like but mine was literally energy in energy out that was it
0: yep pretty much
1: 100% yeah so it's yeah very interesting
0: hmm. if, if we were to uh, provide some initial definitions to understand a little bit more about haze and, and the, the movement how would we start how'd you start um, if you were talking to a new grad kind of EP, clinician, generally used to that um, weight-centric model.
1: Of course. Lovely. So Haze stands for health at every size. And I'm really glad that you said that correctly earlier because so many people say healthy at every size. And that's where so much of the pushback comes from. How can anyone be healthy at this size or that size or all these things? It's like, mate, it's not saying that people are healthy at all sizes. People can be unhealthy at a really middle-of-the-road you know weight of averages you know like it's totally an average weight for people to have they can still have like stage four cancer they're not healthy man they're dying (laughs) so it's not healthy at every size what it is is health at every size in other words we should be providing health care at every size for people of every size all throughout their life and that's what it is So this is certainly not something that I've made up. It is well before I was a twinkle in my father's eye. Um, And so it was a social justice movement that was started in the 1960s in America. Uh, And it was started by black, queer um, and disability activists, um, which is really cool. So it's got its roots in all of those massive intersectionalities of marginalisation and the idea of why we need to think about those intersectionalities of different groups in society is that bodies come in all shapes and sizes across all parts of society. So you can have people who are black and indigenous and people of colour who are in bigger bodies or smaller bodies and disabled bodies who are in bigger bodies or smaller bodies and queer people who are in bigger bodies and smaller bodies. Or you can get people who are all of those things put together who are in bigger bodies or smaller bodies. And so if you're wanting to fight for justice for people in different sized bodies, you actually need to fight for justice for people in all these other areas of society as well. You can't just remove someone's body from the rest of their identity. It doesn't work like that. So it started way back in the 60s um and so health at every size or haze has five uh principles which i wrote down to make sure i wouldn't forget them uh so they are um in order on not in order of importance but just in order of how it's always written so the first one is weight inclusivity so in other words people of all shapes and sizes and weights should have access to healthcare because remember we're talking specifically about healthcare but you know Access to anything in greater society is also something that's very important. The second one is health enhancement, okay? So we want to be helping people to, what it says on the packet, enhance themselves. Can we fix things as health professionals? Not necessarily. Can we treat things sometimes? Can we help people to enhance their health no matter what? Yeah, probably. Like even someone who's in the really back end of palliative care, We can still enhance their health and well-being and their sense of um, peace and everything like that, even though we're certainly not fixing anything at that stage of the game. Uh, Then we have respectful care, which worries me that it needs to be said, but apparently it does. Um, But basically I take that as don't be a dick. Uh, You know, just don't be an arsehole to people. Uh, And then we have eating for well-being. So you'll notice that it's for well-being, not for specifically cholesterol reduction or very specifically for weight reduction or weight gain or anything like that. It's eating for well-being. And so that involves emotional well-being, social well-being, psychological well-being, physical well-being, all of them smooshed together, okay, by psychosocial uh, approach. That's your jam. And then the one that, as an exercise physiologist, I tend to care about the most is the final one, which is life-enhancing movement. And again, it's not about necessarily fixing anything. It's about enhancing our lives. Um, and it used to actually be joyful movement. And I'm really glad that they changed it because, as you would know, Daniel, working with people with persistent pain, sometimes the movement we need people to do is really not joyful at all, especially at the beginning. Sometimes it's really hard Emotionally, physically, mentally, whatever. And so I think life enhancing is a much better description of that. So they're the five principles of Haze, basically. Uh, and so, yeah, so we want to include that in healthcare, no matter who the health practitioner is or whether they're in community health or they're in private practice or when you're in a hospital. Um, you know, like I think these are pretty decent principles to abide by, basically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much overlap with just person centered ethical healthcare practice that uh, honors the person's autonomy and provides them access to uh, healthcare choices. Uh, I feel like for it's important to acknowledge I, I'm also in a straight sized body and I don't experience the, the harms that uh, a lot of people do experience when accessing healthcare and they, they just less options available for them that's an mm. important aspect to to know um, for clinicians um, because it can also influence the interaction that you have with clients in larger bodies and acknowledging the the struggles that they have outside of your clinic context can help you really appreciate you know doing things to enhance their well-being within your clinic space and provide that comfort and safety and accessibility to say exercise equipment and yeah um, furniture and, and uh, access to your building like even now I'm, I'm being very um uh it's ironic because I'm, I'm in a like ninth floor and I don't think there is disability access so this is all my employer's fault I'm putting him on the <laughs> spot but like acknowledging that as well that like uh, access to your to you to your clinic to your services is, is important um and that is covered within the principles of uh, health that people deserve mm. health care adequate health care Every
1: yeah, if you can't get in the building, can't access the healthcare. Well, telehealth has helped with that. Um, but you know, as a as a general statement, if you can't get in, you can't do it. And you you said, you know, there are other aspects of their life. So some of those aspects are not healthcare. You know, it's just like what happens when they go to the shops, what happens when they go to the movies, what happens when they get in their car, what you know, life, right? But the other parts of it are every single um, health and medical interaction that they have had up until that point shapes how they are going to feel when they walk through a door because if they've already had 400 really, really, really shitty experiences where they've been made to feel like a sack of crap. See, we're getting swearing now It's because I guess it's just like you're very passionate, I think was the word you used. Um, but if they've had that many experiences, you know, and you as the new clinician, or the referred to clinician or whatever it is come in and you are not abiding by these principles and you are not providing as safe a space as we can because we can't provide a safe space for everyone, unfortunately, as much as I would like to. Um, and we're not taking into account those lived experiences and we're not taking into account their body and we're just really focusing on their weight. Oh, oh, hi Daniel, how are you today? Great, so you're here for weight loss? Uh, what? No. <laughs> I am not. I'm here because my shoulder hurts. Um, Or, you know, at a doctor, I'm here because I have a cold. Well, I really think we need to talk about your weight. Uh, No, like that's not why I'm here. I'm here because I have a sore throat and I need a doctor's certificate to go to work. Well, maybe how about we just step on the scales and we'll deal with that, you know, like that unsolicitedness. If we're doing that, it doesn't matter how good a practitioner you are. Like you could totally, like, make their shoulder be amazing and bulletproof and all of those sorts of things. But, you know, They're not going to come back. They've already checked out. You've already made them feel like crap. You're just one more person who's in a long line of making them want to disengage from healthcare, which means that then, of course, um, people in larger bodies leave healthcare issues for longer. Because why would you want to go to someone who's going to treat you like crap, who's going to judge you and it's going to assume that it's quote unquote all your fault? And if you just lost the weight, it would be fine. Well, you know, wouldn't be fine. Losing 30 kilos isn't going to fix your rotator cuff care, uh, tear. It's, it's just going to make you lose 30 kilos and probably a whole bunch of muscle mass, which is really what I would like you to have if we're going to strengthen your shoulder girdle. So, yeah.
0: it's Yeah, it's I'm just reflecting on the kind of uh, reflective practice that I had to do to get to where I am now, and I'm very much uh, still a, a baby and a newbie within this space. Mm. Um there's a a few things that come to mind that might resonate with some listeners who are introduced to this practice. And I'm thinking just recommending weight loss for someone in a larger body without considering the consequences, without Mm. considering their previous experiences with dieting, with what other professionals have advised. And it's, I think it's important to also know that like every time I did it, it was well-intentioned at the same time with that well-intentioned, I made it about like just, like you said, almost unsolicited, or, or I didn't uh, ask for their previous experiences. I didn't question the recommendation. I just gave it to them as part of my care. Yeah. So I think that's important to know like what, what kind of processes and frameworks do we have? What assumptions are we making that um, might be unfortunately and unintentionally perpetuating that, you know, you, you need to lose weight and you're in the wrong size body and it's we need to fix your body. Yeah. First and foremost, before we can get to your life enhancing goals.
1: Yeah. Right. And why, why is it in that order? Well, it's in that order because we were taught for it to be in that order. Like, you know, it's, it's not our fault. It's a real systemic issue, not only in our trading organizations, but in healthcare in general, in government policy making, in society in general, like it's this huge thing. And so It's really common for people when they start hearing about this sort of stuff and they start reflecting, as you just said, and those sort of things that you suddenly realise, oh, boy, I have said some things and I have done some things. Yeah, And hands up, myself included, there is no way that I haven't, you know, stuffed some people up like pretty badly before I knew better. And even now, you know, like I will continue to stuff people up because I am in fact a human as much as I hate that and it keeps me up at night. It's about trying to do better the next time. Um, But if any of your listeners are currently going, oh, boy, when they're thinking about things that they've said or done or that client that they have that they're like, oh, man, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be talking about that in front of them or maybe I shouldn't be referring to how I was really bad on the weekend because I ate a whole falafel after I went out or I don't know, whatever, Um, you know, and maybe that's not helpful you know, just take a breath. It's okay. You're the human. It Obviously, you care about improving your practice because you're listening to this podcast. So that's like step number one. Excellent work. Super impressed. And then it's about, okay, well, what are the tiny little bits that I can do differently? And we have to be quite compassionate to ourselves because if we don't, we'll just, we'll we'll be like the client who shuts down. We will shut down and we won't make any changes to help anyone. And that's not very helpful, really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Extending that kindness to ourselves and knowing that we are doing the best that we can and just note for the listeners noticing when maybe and we'll dive into weight stigma later but when that might show up for ourselves as well and in our own experiences and um how we maybe are treating our own training and our own movement so it's very much an experiential uh process and journey for clinicians as as humans as well and mm. reflecting on our own uh, relationships with our bodies and and our own movement practices um it I wanted to touch on size inclusive uh, practice and how that fits in I see like it's overlapping Venn diagrams in my mind but if you were to define and expand on it what, what would uh, weight inclusive size inclusive
1: yeah like? I suppose I suppose that's probably how I try to describe myself or I tend to say that I'm weight weight neutral in the in the practice um and so I suppose to me size inclusive or weight inclusive care is really well in some ways it's pretty much what it says on the packet so it's that thing of have you been accounted for I saw a um Post on Instagram of Old Places once by a really cool content creator and uh trainer in thinking Canada. Uh their handle is decolonizing uh fitness. And they put up a tile once that said, There's a big difference between saying, all welcome here, and this was made with you in mind. And I saved it immediately and I try to really think about that all the time. So it's really fine to say, okay, cool, yeah, we welcome all sizes, all shapes and sizes. Everyone can come in. It doesn't matter what your weight is, all that sort of stuff. If your couch is too low for someone of a certain body size or for that matter, knee pain, back pain or hip pain or anything else that they've got going on to get up out of, you're not being size inclusive. If every single chair in your waiting room in your clinic has arms, which is really great for little old people who don't have any leg strength and need some help to get up. However, you need options. That's not just the really ugly orange bariatric chair in the corner. (laughs) You're not being size inclusive. If every single picture in your clinic is of some young, white, sweaty, very loosely clad thing, doing exercise that is not accessible to the vast majority of the population you know what you're not being size inclusive or a bunch of other things inclusive either if your blood pressure cuff doesn't fit if you have to go find the blood pressure cuff from the back if you are if you are choosing to weigh people you have a client who needs to be weighed for a legitimate clinical reason which i think there are very few as a side note if your scales do not go heavy enough you are not being size inclusive. Like what the hell are you doing putting someone on the scales if you are needing to measure someone for whatever clinical reason you can think of and your tape measure isn't long enough, you are not being size inclusive. If you cannot get people into the gym equipment and you do not have an alternative, if your gym equipment isn't weighted heavy enough, if your bed isn't weighted heavy enough, if all of those sort of things, if your toilet is so damn small (laughs) that that person cannot get in and turn around, to go to the toilet while they are at your clinic, that is, these are the things where we're not being size inclusive. Now, huge disclaimer, I know a lot of your listeners are not necessarily going to be people who can make choices about those things, and I understand that. I am in a really amazing position where I own my own clinic. I get to do within reason, whatever I want, within the confines of the building that I rent. Okay. But as you just discussed, like with, you were like, Oh yes, my employer, can I, can people get, I'm not sure. Right. And, (laughs) And you can't do everything, but you can do some things, you know, so you can make sure that there are enough blood pressure cuffs that are a big enough size in the clinic. And there's one in each room and it's easy access. Right. That's, Pretty okay to make sure it happens and to make sure it's advocated for right you can you know when the next lot of equipment is being ordered you can be like have we actually checked the weighting on this sort of stuff like is the weight limit on everything 100 pretty much every chair from ikea that's like not a couch like just a standalone chair the weight limit is like 100 or 110 kilos that is not a lot that is me with a child on my lap like that is not a big person And it doesn't mean as soon as it hits 101 kilos, the whole thing is going to drop. But if you've got your clients who are coming in and they clock those chairs and they're like, oh, shit, I don't know that that's going to hold me. Do you think they're listening to you in your entire session? Of course not. They're going like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Please don't break. Please don't break. And so there's no way you're going to develop a good rapport with that client. There's no way you're going to develop any of those sort of things. And if your client intake form, that's another big one, If it's like, what is your weight? They are immediately on high alert that that's what you're going to ask them about. And if you're somewhere where, you know, that's actually clinically relevant, um, cancer treatment is a really good example, right? Like it's got to be dosed appropriately, to body size, Great, You know what? Yeah, you need to get on the scales. But are you asking consent every time? Like are you truly asking consent? Are you like, all right, Dan, so we're going to pop on the scales now? That's not me asking you consent. That's me informing you what's going to happen. And, you know, you're you're a strong and independent man who is able to advocate yourself against that, but there's a huge power dynamic between people. And so if we're not doing those things, so it's also in the language of that sort of stuff, that size inclusive sort of thing. And the biggest one is if, if, if in your care you are providing one completely specific set of treatment goals modalities equipment exercises whatever it is that you're doing for people in small and straight sized bodies and as soon as someone clicks over some magical number or size or look you are providing them with a completely different set of goals and treatment modalities and exercises and reasons for coming into the clinic you are not providing size inclusive care because you are separating those people. And you know what? Someone is not getting gold standard care. Like it's impossible for it to be both. So that I think is the really big one. All those other little things are amazing and make up the experience of being in the clinic and create that safer space and a brave space for clients to come in and talk to you about their experiences and to feel confident and comfortable. That's amazing. But when push comes to shove, if you're not actually providing decent care and appropriately tailored care for that person in a large body... You're not doing your job and that's really and that's really hard to realise when you suddenly go, oh, man, I haven't actually been doing that and can be really confronting. But to me, that's the most important one. And so it should be that real question of would I provide for this person in a larger body, uh, For sorry, for a person in a smaller body, would I prov- be providing the same type of care as I'm providing for this person with a larger body and taking into account any physical limitations that they might have? Because you know what, a uh. A, a, person who is in a very very large body does not have the same set of physical limitations as a person in a very small body it it's just a fact so you need to take it into account and you need to take into account their lived experiences but apart from that they should really be getting the same general direction of care so long as you're taking those things into account because otherwise what are we doing did that answer that question? I know I tangented a bit.
0: <laughs> the, the examples I think are so needed because we can again be on the surface level, like I am person-centered and evidence-based and weight inclusive and size inclusive. And then you realize your context might be saying a different message. Mm. And I think that's important to know that we that that incoherence is important to know and awareness is the first step. So hearing some examples, like you mentioned, is perfect. And then the next step is seeing what we can do within our, uh, options. Um, yeah, and also I just realized I said employer, I actually work for myself. It's more the building that oh,
1: right. landlord is
0: isn't, isn't, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so screw my landlord is what I'm saying. Um,
1: <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. Mine, <laughs> mine's lovely, but the building is not as beautiful as I would like it to be if I had $4 million to create a magical yes. building.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Acknowledging that, can hmm? you see them outside? Can you yes. see them at a home visit or can you do telehealth or can you, um, in your consent form, is there a way to uh, perhaps have an alternative consent form that doesn't include, uh, you know, list down your BMI and uh, your weight and, and everything. It's like, oh, Yeah. Um, or can you at least um, maybe uh, within your consent process be like, uh, you can ignore this page on the consent form. I don't care about that. Or can you cross it off with, you know, <laughs> I'm just thinking of all the ways people can sneak in this yes. way um, because it can, might be a bit of a, it might sound a bit overwhelming for uh, employees, especially in private mm. practice, who aren't able to, um, you know, fork out all the money for all yeah. these uh, uh, much needed furniture in their workplace.
1: Of course. And especially if you're part of a big churn machine of a corporation-y kind of thing, you know, where you've got like 10 physios and 4 EPs and 10 dietitians or whatever, you know, in, in one big cohort creating effective change can be really difficult. Um, But you can start in your own clinic room, you know, like you can start in your own consult. And so that's that bit about, okay, but is the care I am specifically providing is that bit size inclusive? Like that's the bit that within reason you have 98% control over, right, that you can do even if you work for some big conglomerate of awfulness. Um, And then it can be things like, oh, I noticed that in the waiting room we have, you know, Women's Weekly and New Idea and everything's like, how Kim Kardashian got her butt to look like this, you know you could be like, oh, well, actually, you know, I have all these, I don't know, horse and hound is always the thing that comes into my head from Notting Hill. But, you know, I have these horse and hound magazines or, you know, like my local area is on the Flurio Peninsula and we have the Flurio Living magazine or... Why don't we do uh, have books there instead for people to read? Or why don't we, you know, like all those sort of things. And, you know, you might just be like, oh, hey, I've got all these spare old magazines that I got. You know, could we swap them out and having a conversation in a really gentle way that way sort of thing? Um, you know, I think and things like in your room, you know, the scales don't have to be really visible. Hide them. Put them in a cupboard. That is the thing that you definitely should have to go get. (laughs) You should make that as a barrier for yourself. Why do I really need to weigh people? Um, But, you know, so that things are out of sight, out of mind. You know, you can change the the posters in the rooms. You know, like this year for exercise, oh, sorry, not this year, last year, 2022, for Exercise Right Week, um, Exercise Sports Science Australia S's posters were actually incredibly diverse. I kept them all normally. Everyone from essa who's listening to this normally i have to chuck out half of the promotional material because i don't put anything about weight up in my clinic and this year i got to keep everything everything's laminated everything's up it's amazing it's like age diversity racial diversity size diversity and they look happy you know how you normally get um when you see visions of people in larger bodies and they're like the and so it's called in the in the fat activist community it's called the headless fatty it is not a thing that i coined um but think like today tonight or a current affair where they like follow people around in large bodies and they're always eating a burger <laughs> and they're always wearing really tight clothing and they put them in the most unhelpful angles but they never have a head Right So it's this real dehumanizing of things. So it's all well and good if you've got pictures of people in larger bodies up in your clinic, but do they look happy? Do they look like they're enjoying themselves exercise or do they look really sad or like it's really hard or it, yeah so things like that are things that you can change in your own little tiny bubble or you can take to your employer that are really small tiny steps that can be really helpful. you can do a bunch of training. You could request that as PD for your in-service PD. uh, You know, like there's lots of ways to do things. One of the really simple things that I have done on my cardio equipment is that I got a little bit of duct tape, black duct tape, and I covered it over the word calories. And you know what? That's just real simple. Honestly, you could probably just stealth do it and no one would notice. but that's really helpful for anyone with eating disorders disordered eating compulsive exercise or anyone for whom movement has only ever been seen as a way to force their body to be smaller or to change something that they've been told isn't good enough about themselves it's just it just takes the edge off and that can be so helpful it makes a world sort of
0: difference of it's uh just understanding the lived experiences i think is also important and the ability to, to acknowledge one's own privileges can then help open up the empathy of what it's like to mm. be in the space that you're in and how ha- and then all the kind of creativity as you mentioned um, all these little ideas that you can sneak in regardless yes. of whether you're um, in an employee or employer position and wanted to touch on weight stigma and, mm. and weight bias i think um, we're talking about the first step as being awareness of how we can be a bit more haze aligned than we are currently. Um, and I feel like it's helpful as you've been giving some examples. When would um, weight sigma and weight bias show up in healthcare and private practice?
1: Yeah, cool. So, weight bias is, or bias of anything is like, you know, I prefer X over Y, right? Okay. And so, when we talk about weight bias, we're talking about, I prefer this size or this shape or this whatever over X, Y, Z, right? Now, it's really, it's impossible to pull out what do I actually prefer from what have I been conditioned to prefer, (laughs) okay? But the problem is not so much the bias. The problem is exactly what you said, the stigma that follows. So it's when you then start associating the fact that someone is, for example, bigger as a bad thing, or you start associating negative characteristics to them. Think about the phrase fat and lazy. Rolls off the tongue, right? Super easy to say, said all of the time. You know, we just had Christmas, New Year, recording this on the 3rd. Oh, I feel so fat. Mate, fat's not a feeling. Like, it's a collection of cells. <laughs> like, it is obviously how some people choose to identify themselves as, and that's great. It's a very much a reclaimed word in the fact, activism community, which is amazing. Um, but if that really resonates for you, but like, you know, when someone who's in a straight size body is like, oh, yeah, I feel really fat. And the person sitting next to them who's like way bigger than them hears that like because what they're really saying is they're saying I feel overstuffed I feel sluggish I feel like I haven't done anything today I feel like I've made poor choices with my food I feel like I have you know these things that are perceived as really negative well you've just rolled that all off into a nice little ball of oh well yeah but I'm fat well how do you think that makes that person feel next to you right? Or anyone else who ever hears you say that. And so when we have that as part of our language all the time, that can be really unhelpful. Um, so um, yeah, does that kind of make sense about how that's a a bad thing? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's and so
0: the, the bias, it's like subconscious. It's sometimes outside of our control. It's hmm. how we then respond to it. And if we link that yeah. bias to a, an action or a word that we say, or, or like you know, something comes up in our body language or, you know, that's where we can reflect on how we can change that response.
1: Yeah, 100%. So you have your explicit bias, which are uh, your biases and your values and your decisions and your thoughts and feelings that you know about. And you're like, yes, I'm acutely aware of this. This is a decision that I'm basically consciously making. And then you have your implicit bias, which is your subconscious stuff. That is the hard bit. That's the hard bit to undo, okay? So it's all well and good to be like, yeah, I'm size inclusive and whatever. But then when you're talking to your colleague, you're like, and I'm going to use words just to highlight the point, but you will notice that I have never actually used the words overweight or obese in this podcast thus far. But if you are then saying to your colleague in the break room, oh my God, that client is so obese. And when we work with obese clients, we should really be doing this. And that person's really overweight. I feel really fat today. You're not like you're consciously making an effort with the client, which is amazing and is better than not making an effort by like 400%. And that's really great. But if you are not at the point that you are consciously overriding those unconscious things, which you know sounds very difficult, but you're making that conscious effort all the time until it becomes a not conscious effort. That's when we're still having those issues and causing those harms because we're like, yeah, I still, like, yeah I'm going to be really nice to you, but I still think you're a fat bastard and that you're being really lazy and you've done this to yourself and I don't really know why I should be bothering to help you because if you just actually got on with it, then what's the point? Like, like, then you then you would be fine. Like, you shouldn't need to come see me. I would like to put a huge asterisk that you, if you can see my face, you would know that I'm obviously joking, but that's not how I feel about Yeah, full people.
0: sarcasm, yeah.
1: Yeah, full sarcasm, just in case it didn't come across uh, in audio only. Um, but, yeah, because that can be what happens so as health and medical professionals it, there's a lot of research to show that we not only have very high implicit bias but we actually have a lot of explicit bias and actually less respect for people in larger bodies and we assume that they're not gonna um be adherent to what we do and so and then so this is a very cool study uh, meta-analysis of a bunch of stuff um phelan p-h-e-l-a-m at al i think 2016 off the top of my head it's one of my favorite ones to talk about in case anyone wants to do a little deep dive um so when we have less respect for a group of people we're not going to communicate as well so your patient uh communication is reduced and when patient communication is reduced then the person disengages and then if they disengaged, it's now become a self-fulfilling prophecy well they didn't adhere to anything they didn't do anything and the cycle continues and like it's not the client's job to step out of that it's our job to step out of that and to make an effort to ever so slightly step sideways. And so the opposite of the stigma, the people who don't have to deal with the stigma are the people who have the privilege. So that's why I say I have straight size privilege or you can say you have slim privilege or thin privilege, depending on how you feel about your own body. Um, And so it's not that that doesn't mean that I haven't been subjected to my own negative feels about my body or that other people haven't going doing a diploma in fitness in the late 2000s. It resulted in a lot of, you know, people saying a lot of things about bodies that were not pleasant. But I also don't have to worry about not being able to find clothes in a mainstream store. I don't need to worry about the chair falling out from under me. I don't need to worry that someone's going to randomly give me unsolicited advice in the supermarket. You shouldn't be eating that that sort of thing. I don't have to worry that when I go for, a, if I went for a run, I hate running, but if I went for a run, nobody would go, oh, my God, you're doing such a good job. Keep going in that real patronising way. Or that no one would be like, get out of the way, fatty, as well. Like either is not helpful. So that's that difference. It doesn't, just because you have privilege, it's something, it's something really important to acknowledge, but it doesn't diminish your own struggles and your own shit that you've had to deal with but it just means you didn't have to deal with this particular set of shittiness, right? And so then if we go back to the intersectionality that I talked about before, right? So people of colour have stigma against them and so we have white privilege. We also have, uh, there's a thing called colorism, kind of privilege, which is like people who are darker skinned have more stigma than people who are lighter skinned because you're closer to whiteness. It's a whole thing, right? So if you've got someone who is a dark-skinned black person and they're in a larger body, They've got double the amount of stigma, right? And then if they're disabled and then if they're neurodivergent and then if they're queer and, like, you know, that's that's not someone we're not going to see as a patient. But, you know, any intersectionality of that, all those things make those things difficult and all those things make each of those other things difficult in different ways. And, no, you can't know how all those things interact because you are not that person. But that's why we need to do things like have a chat with our clients and ask them open-ended questions and do motivational interviewing and what are your goals and what are your experiences and what's happened to you in the past and what do you think you really need from me and what can I do to help you and all of those sort of real open-ended questions because that's how we're going to learn how to do that and how to do that the best that we can. I can't fix everything. Um, Can't fix most things, unfortunately, but we can do the best that we can with what we have and that's, that's the best we can do at the time, and when we can do better, we we do better. So, did that yeah. explain that a bit better?
0: That's awesome. It's like jam packed with so <laughs> much, and so there's much. so many so many great options for people in terms of starting points. Um, I know for my own experience, it, it was quite overwhelming at the start to see like mm. okay, there's so much here. Like it's almost like a the similar existential crisis when I came across pain science after giving people specific strengthening exercises or like curing their tight muscles back in the day. Cause yeah. that's kind of, you know, doing core stability for every single person with low back pain, regardless of anything else about, apart from their low back pain, um, th- that kind of existential crisis can be imminent when coming across uh, weight inclusive practice. If you have y- your f- entire framework and worldview has been weight centric. So I think of there's course. lots of options for people to, to start off their journey wherever they are. Um, and also, um, also highlighting, I'm going to share a lot of these studies that you just mentioned. Um, that was a great one, P-H-E-L-A-N, um, yes. Felon. And if people search up in the Knowledge Exchange Discussion Group on Facebook, weight stigma or weight bias, I just looked it up to double check because Facebook algorithms suck sometimes. Um, they're <laughs> all in there as well. Um, I'm very mindful of the time, and this is like an introduction to so much like to uncover for for listeners Hmm. if if we were to to finish off with some advice for um clinicians who are kind of struggling to wrap their heads around some of these frameworks and um like you know what about in this context or uh how about with this client that I'm seeing or how does this look within these populations that I work with and there's all these um as we're making sense of incorporating and aligning ourselves more towards these um, values of inclusivity and acknowledging the very real lived experiences um, first of all ourselves our privileges as well as um, what our clients are facing both within and outside our clinic very big and open-ended question what what's some starting bits uh, as people are making sense of pays weight Sigma and size inclusive practice
1: sure no I love it I if I could pick a take-home message, it would be to ask yourself when you are when you are providing care or treatment for your client, and particularly obviously what we're discussing today is in a bigger body, are you providing the same type and standard and modality of care that you would for a person in a smaller body? And taking into account, big asterisks, their lived experiences and any physical limitations they might have, okay, because that's our job is to do that. If not, why not? And if you can't answer that, I suggest you just take a beat and be like, why am I doing this? Like what is it that made me decide that this particular course of action, whatever that might be, was the right one for this person but not for this other person over here because I think that is a really kind and gentle way for you to question yourself and what you're doing without ripping yourself a new one okay and we can apply that to all sorts of things so two of the really big hitters that I always get as questions are one type 2 diabetes and two osteoarthritis especially knees knees is the favorite right so we'll do do both of them so type 2 diabetes oh my god they're so fat they just have to lose weight okay fine that's what we're saying that is a really weight centric approach so the main aim of the intervention is to focus on the weight okay the success is determined about whether they've lost the weight or whether they haven't lost the weight and that is the sole focus what so let's say we've got a person in a bigger body that got type two diabetes. Yeah, we're going to get them to lose weight no matter what. Restriction, you know, bariatric surgery. Ugh. Or, um, you know, crazy exercise. Let's do it. Put them in a sweat, you know, a sweating suit, wrap them up, do whatever, you know, all the crazy things. Let's do that. Then they're smaller and then their diabetes will be under control. Cool. What happens when we have a person with type two diabetes in a smaller body? What happens if I have type two diabetes? Like, are you going to make me lose that weight? Like, that's not a good idea, man. Like, I'll die. That's not a good plan. So we're very happy to force excessive weight loss on someone for a specific condition, but it's not, it, it doesn't work because you can't apply the same thing to this smaller person with type 2 diabetes, right? So when we do a weight neutral approach, okay, which is not to say that the weight isn't there because their experiences of being in a bigger body are very valid and very important and any physical limitations are very important so it's not forget about the weight it's take it into account but maybe it's not the top priority so instead what would we do well for type 2 diabetes you know right yeah sure let's get you more active and fitter and stuff like that but really what I want is I want you doing resistance training man because we all know that that is what improves insulin sensitivity right irrespective of weight loss right? So that's what we prefer. Yeah. Sorry. Prescribe someone in a smaller body with type two diabetes, right? That is our job. That is what we do. Easy peasy, right? Any fourth year can tell you that, right? Why don't we do that for this person in a bigger body? That makes no sense. Instead we're like smaller, 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 smaller. Okay. Well now they're smaller. Now what? They still have type two diabetes, man. Like you haven't made it go away. It doesn't go away. So instead let's provide the same version of care that we would for a smaller body to a large body if their body changes it changes but you know what if they start doing strength training and they understand why and you're doing it in a really kind and compassionate way that works for them and their body you know what they're going to stick with it and any other comorbidities they might happen to have are probably going to improve as well because we know that the evidence is really strong for things like cholesterol and blood pressure and pain and all those sort of things is get them moving in a strength way right so that's type two diabetes okay as an example knee pain (laughs) because it's the favorite osteoarthritis knee pain so a really weight centric example of treatment of care is okay cool so we need to make you smaller because then there's less force on your knees and then that'll hurt less mate small people get arthritis too like you know there's so many reasons why people get arthritis okay this person is still going to have arthritis whether they're bigger or smaller you know what they're now going to have less muscle mass know what the most important thing is for improving things like arthritis and knee pain and all those sort of things what do we make them do strength training like in resistance training and what are ways we can make you move in a way that's comfortable for you not like this is the only way you can possibly squat but oh look I can see the way you're doing that is probably not helping you maybe let's adjust it this way or let's find a way you can move better or all those sorts of things That is a weight neutral way of doing it. Because again, if we take someone who's in a smaller body and they have knee arthritis, you're not going to be like, you need to lose 20 kilos. That's not going to work. They're going to lose bone mass. They're going to lose muscle mass. They're going to be miserable. Not going to be able to cope with it. So why is it okay for us to do that for clients in a bigger body when it is not actually our gold standard of care what we're good at or where the evidence shows that we're useful so a weight neutral thing is let's help you to move better let's show you some really cool ways that you can move your body that are going to make it more comfortable for you to do your job or the things you love or whatever and let's strengthen you which as a side note to be able to do that you need to eat more right (laughs) so that's a separate a slightly separate issue but a tangential issue where we tell people in larger bodies to eat significantly less, like significantly less, and exercise way more for, a, for conditions where muscle mass is vital. That makes no sense. Like it literally makes no sense. So why would we do that? We would never tell someone in a smaller body to do that. It would be negligent, but we'll tell someone in a larger body. So that's two of the really big hitters that tend to come back when you say, yeah, I work in a haze framework. That's how I treat those clients. And really, when push comes to shove, I think really I'm just doing the job of an EP. Like I'm doing the thing that works the best for those two things. So it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Very quickly, I would like to provide you with an example uh, of a beautiful friend of mine who gave me full permission to disclose this I checked with her yesterday and we were going we were going for a walk and she has some unresolved trauma and things like that we've talked about things just in our lovely chats and we were going for a walk on the beach and she was like so Meredith I've been having some issues with my food my little antennas pricked up she's in a larger body to be clear and I was like yes what what does that mean and she goes well I've been throwing up i like as in you feel ill, as in you've had a gastro, as in like, what, what do you mean? She's like, no, like I eat and I throw up afterwards. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm like, and is this on purpose? She's like, yeah, this is on purpose. I'm like, okay, cool. So, you know, we're talking full-blown eating disorder behaviors, right? And I said to her, okay. So what would you say to me if I said to you, hey, blah, blah, I'm having some issues with my food, I'm eating and then I'm throwing up. I was like, how often is this happening? She's like, oh, generally like, you know, I've done it a couple of times now, but it's only been a couple of weeks, but, you know, getting, getting to amounts that I'm not okay with as a health professional myself. All right, so what would you say if I said and we're going to, I, I'm get, I eat and then I throw up afterwards? And she looked at me, her eyes wide, like saucers. And I just kind of held the silence. And I was like, you wouldn't like that, would you? You'd be really worried about me. And she just stared at me. and I was like, you would literally take me to hospital right now, wouldn't you? She's like, yeah, pretty much. I'd be really concerned. I'm like, cool. So blah, blah, what makes it okay for you to do that behavior that you're so obviously really concerned about my physical and mental well-being for me to do that behavior? And she stopped for a minute and she was like, oh, my God, I'm like, yeah, it's because you're in a bigger body, isn't it? She's like, holy shit, yeah, it is. So because she is in a larger body, she had convinced herself slash society had convinced her that it was okay for her to take part in full-blown eating disorder behaviours that have all sorts of consequences because she's fat. And so that's what she felt, that that was okay, and it's the same when we as health professionals put people on these crazy low diets. It's not enough to feed a toddler. like, And we're expecting them to function, let alone function. We're expecting them to do a hit class on that toddler-esque amount of food because they're fat. And that's the worst possible thing that it could be. This same friend had been to her GP to talk about how she wasn't okay with her weight. And, She had been to a psychologist many years before, but it hadn't worked out for her. But rather than sending her to a dietitian, to an exercise physiologist, to a psychologist to work on her actual issues, that GP referred her to a bariatric surgery clinic and she got an appointment to talk to the surgeon about having a balloon put in her stomach. So it was a semi-permanent procedure. And she could be booked in She asked, how long after my appointment with the surgeon can I have the surgery? And they said three weeks, three to four weeks. So this is a really big example of what happens when we have that bias and then that stigma that follows on. If if I turned up to my GP as a straight-sized person and said, I'm having these issues, I've got this Trauma, I've got all these sort of things. I'm worried about my weight. I would be in front of an eating disorder specialist before I even knew what had happened, apart from the wait times, obviously, because that is the behaviors that are being exhibited. There was no actual help or actual appropriate referrals to allied health. It was assumed, well, she's big. If you're smaller, everything will be fine. Yeah, you don't just magically get rid of trauma if you're smaller. Okay. And so They were willing to put a balloon in her stomach so she couldn't eat and would become malnourished rather than sending her to all these other people. And she thought it was okay for her to throw up, to make herself throw up because she's bigger. She knows it's not okay because if I did it, she she was horrified. But for her it's okay. So this is the world that bigger people are living in all of the time is that they're made to feel simultaneously like too much and not enough all the time. And they are invisible in the world, but they can't hide either. It's this really horrible dichotomy where nothing they do is right and they are judged from all sides no matter what. And so for your listeners and for health professionals who are starting out, Doing your best to go, am I truly providing this person with the best possible standard of care and is it what I would do for others is a really amazing start. A really small thing you can do is you, but a very important thing you can do is you can start exposing yourselves to different content. So on your Instagram or your Snapchat or TikTok or whatever the hell the kids are doing these days, start following different looking people and not just people in larger bodies who are trying to become smaller bodies, people in larger bodies who are living the best possible lives and who are doing really cool things and people in black bodies and people in indigenous bodies and people in queer bodies and people in disabled bodies and all of these different things and neurodivergent people, everything. Like expose yourself to content by people who don't look like you and don't sound like you, and to healthcare professionals that do not look like you and do not sound like you and who have a different set of lived experiences than you do and privileges than you do. Because if we only talk to people who are exactly the same little cookie cutter as us, we will never get any better and we will never be able to provide services for anyone who does not specifically look like us. And that would be a real shame because... The people who are in those marginalised communities are the people who need the most access to healthcare, which is what equitable, not equal, equitable healthcare is all about. And really what is at the crux of health at every size as a paradigm.
0: Yeah, my mic drop moment. <laughs> just I think there's, yeah, so much, so many opportunities to start wherever you're at, uh, exposing yourself to uh, people in different sizes bodies and seeing that uh, there's a lot to uncover. There's a lot to unpack for ourselves as well with um, what we do and also what we don't do, what we choose to say, what we choose not to say. Um, Meredith, I appreciate this. This is a much needed conversation. And I personally have been reflecting as you've been talking on how I can also improve my own practice and what I'm doing and who I'm following and how I'm interacting in person and online and for listeners who are keen to find out a bit more about you, your work, and if you're also open to having listeners reach out, if they've got any questions, where can people find you?
1: Uh, sure. No, I can, I'm can. i definitely happy for people to reach out to me. Uh, so my clinic is called Move to Live Exercise Physiology. So you can uh, follow me on Facebook. I don't even have a website because I'm real lazy. <laughs> but that's a really good example of looking at that real values-based social media. Like it doesn't matter how far you scroll back, you'll never see a 12-week shred challenge or anything like that. Uh, on Instagram, it's at Meredith Woolsey. Um, it's pretty much pictures of my garden and my dog, so don't get too excited. <laughs> but you're very welcome to reach out. And I try to share a lot of posts as stories of really cool content. Um, and yes, people are very welcome to um, reach me, to reach out to me. Um, and I'm very happy to do things like talk further about this sort of stuff, do mentoring, things like that. Um, but I'm very good at, oh, I think I'm very good at the nothing to something with this sort of stuff, which is hopefully the sort of things we've covered today. But after that, I would 110% recommend that people get some, whether it's supervision or listening to podcasts or doing courses or whatever, from people with lived experience of these things. Because as I said right at the beginning, like, it's not something that I have lived experience of. And while I'm very happy to help with the basics, I think that other people should be lifted up. So I would, would highly recommend Maintenance Phase, fat, The Fat Doctor Podcast and Unpacking Weight Science is three podcasts. Obviously, your own podcast, Daniel, was fabulous, but yes, for that. Um, Anti-Diet is a really good book and I'm currently reading one called Fatally Ever After, which is about um, the life of a black fat woman in the UK. Um, And you can do courses with, they're called The Fees, Fiona Willer, Fiona Sutherland, um, do some really good courses for health professionals. And looking at the Hayes Australia website, there's a lot of resources there, or ASDA, which is the Association uh, for, uh, what is it, Size Diversity in Healthcare and Health. Um, And so they're people who own the Hayes trademark. So they have a lot of really cool stuff as well. So that's where I would send your listeners for starting stuff. But always happy to answer questions and have chats with people. I love it.
0: Awesome. I can yeah feel the, the passion through here. So loving your work and appreciate everything you've shared. I think this is a, a one-on-one to a huge world and, a, and a, a lot for people to explore and to start reflecting on in their own practice, in their own lives. So Meredith, thank you very much. And until the next one.
1: Amazing. Thank
0: you.